All right. So last week we learned that um. Uh, last week we dealt with Revelations chapter one. And then we said that um, Revelation is about Jesus Christ. And so when we read Revelations, when we read Revelation, our focus should be on Jesus Christ and not, uh, not on the Antichrist on the tribula- or tribulation. We also said that Revelation is not a book that brings confusion because God is not the author of confusion. We said that Revelation should not bring fear because the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. And we said that. uh, We also made the point that. Just like the end of a movie. Or the end of a storybook. Which um, points to the climax of the story. We should enjoy reading Revelation. And studying Revelation. And we should not. um, Focus on the things that bring us fear. When we read Revelation. But we should focus on Jesus Christ. And we saw the description of Jesus Christ in Revelation when John saw him. The Bible says that John fell down as though he was dead when he saw Jesus Christ. And so today we're going we are going to do uh, we are going to deal with Revelation chapter two. Um, I think that it would be okay to focus on chapter two alone. Last week I know I mentioned that we're going to focus on chapter two and chapter three, but. <clears throat> Thinking about it again, I think that we should take our time to study the letters to the churches or the letter to the churches because it is so important. And um, whatever the outcome or whatever the outcome or what we do with that with those letters actually determines our fate for the next chapters of Revelation. So it is important that um, we take our time to understand the letters to the churches. And so today um, we will do we are going to deal with Revelation chapter two. And the next week, God willing, we'll, um, we'll go into Revelation chapter 3. Now, all the letters, all the letters to the churches, all the letters, the letters to the church, because there are seven different churches that receive the letter. So the letters to the churches um, follow a particular sequence or a particular order. First of all, it gives us a description of Jesus Christ, which it gives us. A brief description of Jesus Christ, of something that has already been mentioned in chapter 1. And then it gives a commendation to the church or their congregation of something they are doing well. And then it rebukes the church for any spiritual deficiency or anything that is, does not please the Lord. And then, then the, church, the church is commended for... Um, I'm sorry, the church, um, the church is corrected for whatever thing they are doing wrong. And then the reward or the promise for overcoming is also given to the church. Now, when we look at the approach that Jesus Christ uses to correct the church or the approach that he used here to correct the church, I believe that it's a good approach that we can use to correct other people or even correct our children. First of all, Jesus Christ commends the church for the things that they are doing well. The first thing, when you look at the um, the order in which the letters were written, first of all, he commends the church for whatever thing they are doing well. Then he calls the attention to what displeases him. Then the next thing is to call them to repentance. And then he warns them of the price of continuous disobedience and also reminds them of the reward for obedience. 
So if we follow this order, first of all, he commends the church for what they are doing well. He calls the attention to the things that displeases him. He calls for repentance and then he reminds the church for the price of persistent disobedience or the reward for obedience. And so I believe that it's a, it's a, a really good order we can also use to correct people or even to correct our children. Now, the letters to the churches has been seen by other people, by a lot of people as um, that um, it's it's only talking to, it's talking about this. Some people say that it's talking about the state of the church in future, or it's talking about, um, Or, or it's talking about it's one the some people say it's talking about the state of the church in future. Other people also say that it is talking about. Some people say that it's talking about a church that was present at that time and does not apply to the future. And some people also say that it's talking about the stages which the church is going to go through. But then, last week I think I mentioned that Revelation was dealing with a situation that was happening at that time. The thing we also have to learn is that any church anywhere, this the letters that we see today can describe the state of our churches currently. It can also um, describe the state of any Christian. And so when you read the book of Revelation and you, you look at the things that Jesus Christ is telling the churches, one, it is a letter to the body of Christ in general. Just like we read First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, which are letters that was um, written by Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the churches. The letter, the letters to the churches, is also a letter that Christ wrote to the churches at that time. And so, just like we read Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, and we learn the lessons, it is important and, and, and apply those lessons to our lives. It is important that we learn the lessons in these letters as well and apply that to our lives. So it can be the state of the church or the body of Christ in general. It can be the state of a believer. And so these letters should remind us and the warnings and the instructions that are given to the churches should also be um, warnings and instructions to us as to how we are supposed to live our lives. And so let's not say that these letters are just a state in which um, the churches are going to enter into until the uh, until Jesus Christ come comes back. Not necessarily true, but this describes that the the um, in a particular church you could find all these seven people in that church, all these seven things that was described. You can find it in that church, and it can describe the um, the state of the body of Christ anywhere at all. And we should apply these lessons to our individual Christian lives. And I believe that it is going to help us. So we are going to start with Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Now the Bible says that to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands? I know your works, your labor and patience, and that you you cannot bear those who are evil, and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have and, and have patience, 
and have labored for my name's sake, and have become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. And so this is usually a church that we call the loveless church. Jesus Christ is telling them that they have left their first love. Now, one thing that runs through all the seven letters to the churches is that he continues to say that I know your works. I know your works. And most of the rebukes that we get, um, rebukes that he gives to the churches, is also about their works. And so this revelation or the letters to the churches emphasize the importance of our works as Christians. And so the first thing he tells the church is that I know your works. We have to understand that Jesus Christ is omniscience and omnipresence. He knows everything. He knows everyone and he sees everything and he is everywhere. And so he told the church that I know your works. Again, we can take this for ourselves as Christians, that Jesus Christ knows our works. He knows the things that we do in darkness, the things that we do that other people don't even see or other people don't even appreciate. And we sometimes we complain about these things. But Jesus Christ, the first thing he tells any of the churches is that I know your works. And so their works are known by Jesus Christ. And so we should also take comfort, comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ knows our works. And if our works are not good, then we should also be warned or we should um, take caution from the fact that Jesus Christ knows our works. Even though your pastor might not see, even though your, your Christian brothers and sisters might not see or they might not know, Jesus Christ knows our works. So he tells the church first that I know your works. He was described, first, the description that was given in Jesus Christ here is that he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Last week, we mentioned that the, the, in chapter 1, that the golden lampstands represents the church. And we said that Jesus Christ is in the midst of his church. And that's when he said, where two or three people are gathered in my name, I am there with them. This tells us that when we meet as a church, He's there. And when John saw the revelation, he saw that Jesus Christ was in the midst of the golden lampstands. And it meant that he was in the midst of his church. And he had the seven stars in his right hand. So he tells the church that I know your works. You, you have, um, you, uh, I'm sorry, your labor, your patience, and that you, you do not bear with those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles. And so it looks like this church is doing very well. They have very good works to show that they are, they are, they are really a vibrant church or they are people of God or they are doing the will of God. He says that you have labored for my name. It means that the church was doing so much in the name of Jesus Christ. They were doing so much. But then he said, this is what I have against you, that you have left your first love. If we remember that Paul wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, Paul says that when I remember your love, I'm, I'm trying to um, read Ephesians chapter 1 verse, verse 15, I'm sorry.
Paul says, therefore, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And so Paul mentioned, Paul acknowledged that this church had love for the saints. But what we see in Revelation tells us that the church did not continue in the same spirit of love. If you remember the Bible study we did on who is a Christian, I think we said that the anchor of a Christian or the anchor that shows or demonstrates that a person is a Christian is love. And so Paul, the, the revelations here tells us that the church had left its first love. The same love that Paul said when he saw this love, he began to pray for them. But this time, when Jesus, Jesus Christ was writing this letter to them, he said they had left their first love. And he, he says, remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. You see the mention of works again. So just like James tells us that your faith without works is dead. In the end, we understand that these, our works will be tested by Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, one thing that we should be aware of is that there are gifts and there are rewards. Not if your theology causes you to believe that everything in the Christian kingdom is a gift. And so there is nothing else you have to do. It will not be accurate. There are gifts that has been given to us and there are rewards that we are going to receive for obedience. And so we have to be mindful of this. That's what the Bible tells us in Corinthians, that our works will pass through the fire. And if they are able to stand the test of time, then we will not um, lose the reward for our works. And so Jesus Christ reminds the church here, that is the church of Ephesus, that you should remember the, your first love and start doing the works that you did at first. And he says that if the church does not do that, he said, or else I will come quickly and remove the lampstand from its place. In chapter 1, we understand that the lamp stand, the lamp, um, stand represents the church. And so if Jesus Christ said he's going to remove the lampstand, what he was saying is that he was going to remove the church or the church will not be identified as the church of Christ anymore. Which means that if that, this particular church does not go back to if its first love and continue or begin to do the works that it used to do at first, then it will not be identified as the body of Christ anymore or it will not be identified as the church anymore. And so the first letter to the church must also speak to us as Christians that if we fail or we give up our love for God and for people, for other people, and we don't relate in love towards other people, then we cannot even identify ourselves as the as a member of the body of Christ anymore. And he says that I am going to remove your lampstand from its place, but this you have, that you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, when you look at this, um, this Nicolaitans that have been mentioned here, you see them, you see this particular um, doctrine or teachings or deeds mentioned so many times in the letters to the churches, and it deals with sexual immorality and idolatry. And it is believed that um, 
it's it, it's coming from or the originator is Nic um, Nicholas, who is mentioned in Acts chapter six, who is part of the deacons who were selected to to serve tables in the church, and so, I mean, that is what um, theologians are saying. Some theologians are saying, but whatever the case or wherever it originated from, you could see that it was a big problem in the first century church that Jesus Christ warned so many of the churches to be mindful of this, um, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans or the deeds of the Nicolaitans because Jesus Christ said he hates those deeds. And usually it is characterized by sexual immorality and idolatry. And he says that, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him to him who overcomes i will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of god now we see here jesus christ telling the church that he who has an ear to hear this statement was made to all the seven churches that he who has an ear to hear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches one for me, one thing that I learned from this statement being mentioned to all the seven churches is that we need to be attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus Christ was on earth, whenever he shared a parable, he said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But in his absence, he has given the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, who the Bible says will lead us into all truth. And therefore, we have to be attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. In this end time, if we are going to conform to the will of God, then we have to be attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ cautions the church. There is one thing that run, runs through all the letters. One is that he mentions, I know your works. The second is that he says, he who overcomes. The third is that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, when we talk about an, an overcomer, some people say a person who doesn't overcome is a person who was never saved at all. Other people also say that a person who doesn't overcome is one who has lost his salvation. Or the third um, view is that a person who doesn't overcome is one who only the person will be saved but will lose his reward. But I believe that when we talk about a person um, when Jesus Christ mentioned he who overcomes, we have to place it in context of the letter. Because when you look at the rewards that is mentioned, um, you see that for some of those people, for some of the rewards, a person who does not have that reward cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so we have to place it in context. For instance, in the dead church, Jesus Christ tells them that he who overcomes, if if the person who overcomes, his name will not be blotted out of the book of life. It means that a person who fails to overcome, his name will be blotted out of the book of life. And so um, there are people who hold the view that once a person is saved, they are saved forever. And that affects the interpretation of this particular text in the Bible. But then the, when the Bible talks about an overcomer, when you place them in the context of each of the letters, you realize that for some of those people, if they don't overcome whatever their current challenge is, they will not enter the kingdom of God. 
And so we have to place that in um, contest who an overcomer is in that situation so that we just don't use one description to describe um, every overcomer in um, the individual letters. I hope I was able to explain that well. So Jesus tells that this particular church that to him who overcomes, I will give the person to eat from the tree of life. And we understand that the tree of life gives eternal life. We understand, we see, we see, we see the tree of life from, um, um, from Genesis and we see, we see the tree of life again in, in Revelation, I think in Revelation chapter 22, where Jesus Christ, the Bible tells that the tree of life is, um, is in the new, um, the new heaven and earth or the new um, Jerusalem that God was going to give the people who, who are victorious. And so he says that if, you don't, if, if they don't overcome, if they don't go back to their first love and do the first works that they were doing, they will not get the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. And so as believers, the first letter to the church of Ephesus should speak to us. We should also examine ourselves to see if we have, and ask ourselves if we have left our first love. Or have we stopped doing the first works that we used to do as believers? And that's why I said from um, the introduction that the letters to the churches describe, can speak to in. To, to, can speak to us as individuals. And so we have to examine ourselves in the light of these letters. Just like Jesus Christ was warning the church that if you go back to your first love, you also examine yourself in the light of these letters and see if you, are, you still have your first love. Rem, rem, remind yourself of when, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, the things that you used to do, that the, how excited you, you were about the things of God, how you went about preaching and telling people about Jesus Christ, the time you spent reading your Bible and praying, the time you, you spent um, showing the love of God and giving out to other people. Do you have that same first love? Or have you also um, fallen away from your first love? And so we should examine ourselves in the light of these letters and see if there is any adjustments that we need to make. And remember that he warned them that anyone who has an ear, let him hear. And the one who overcomes shall be rewarded. Which means that the one who, is not, who doesn't overcome is not going to get the reward that is being promised here. The next church that um, the letter was sent to, or the next church that um, Jesus Christ addressed, I think I mentioned last week that John was on the island of Patmos. And from the location where John was, if you, an island, from that island, if you are coming back to the land, you meet, you have to go through you, the first city in, in the order of the letters. You see that you come to Ephesus first, then you go, you go to Smyrna, and then you go to um, Pe uh, um, Smyrna, and then you go to Pergamos in that order, in the order in which the letters were written. And so you realize that the letters will be sent to Ephesus, then it will go to Smyrna, then it will, it will go to Pergamos, and it will go to the rest of the churches. In the order, when you, um, when you are 
from where um, John is, from Patmos Island, you have to go through the, um, the land in that order. And so that is the order in which the letters to the churches is written. And so the next letter is to the church of Smyrna, which is known as the persecuted church. I think I mentioned last week that the book of Revelation was written at a time where the, when the church was going through persecution. And we see it here in, in the letters that were written to the church. And again, he says to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Last week, I mentioned that when the Bible says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, it is referring to the leader, the human leader of the church. And it's not necessarily referring to an angelic being. Like I said last week, that if Jesus Christ wants to give a message to an angelic being, he wouldn't ask John to write, to write that message and go and give it to the angelic being. He would rather speak to the angelic being directly. And so the, the angel to the angel of the church here refers to the, um, the human leader of the church. So we're going to read chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, these things say, the, f- the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. I know the, blas- the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of, any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, this is one of the two churches that was not rebuked by Jesus Christ. Smyrna was going through persecution. And very interesting, again, Jesus Christ says, I know your works, which means that our works as believers are very, very important to Jesus Christ. He says, I know your works, your tribulation and your poverty. The church might might be going through a difficult time and they were, they might have been experiencing some poverty. And Jesus Christ says, but you are rich. And there were people who were, who were blaspheming. They called themselves Jewish people. But Jesus Christ said they are of the synagogue of Satan. But note one very important thing here. He says that some of you are going to be thrown into prison. He says, do not, do not fear any of those, those things that you are about to suffer. And so, it's not every suffering that he will take us out. I know that in this um, century or in, in, in our current life, if a believer is going to go through suffering, the first thing we will say is, God, deliver me. Don't let me go through this. Don't let me go through any pain. I think because we have been taught that, we have been taught that oh, as a believer, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through anything. You have to receive all you have to do is to be receiving all the blessings that God has for you. But you see, the Bible tells us that we are going to go through persecution. And so this church was going through persecution. And Jesus Christ encouraged them to go through the persecution. He says that, do not be afraid of the things that you are about to suffer. So he knew that they were going to suffer. He didn't promise them that I'm going to deliver you from the suffering. He says that, do not fear. 
the things that you are going to suffer. He, uh, he tells them, gives them an idea of the suffering. He says that indeed the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you go through tribulation 10 days. It means that the tribulation was going to be short. They were going to go through some sort of pain. But he doesn't promise them that I'm going to deliver you out of the pain. But then he tells them, he encouraged them that don't give up. Be faithful until death. It means that even if the persecution that you are going to go through will cost you your life, remain faithful till the end. And so we should arm ourselves with the fact that when we go through persecution as Christians, we have to stay faithful. That is not the time to reject Jesus Christ. That is not the time to give up on our faith. Like Jesus Christ is telling this church now, we have to stay faithful until, until death. And he says that anyone who remains faithful, yes, thank you very much for sharing that. So sometimes an encouragement is all you need. And you get in, in a t when you get into a time of uh, persecution, not deliverance, sometimes after you have prayed that God save me, deliver me, deliver me, he will just give you an encouragement. Sometimes that is actually the answer to your prayer. You don't need deliverance, but you just need him to encourage you. And we see that from here, that Jesus Christ only encourages the church that they should go through, they should endure, they should not give up till the end. And he, he has a reward for them. He says that if they stay faithful to the end, he will give them the crown of life. Now, the crown, the crown of life is always mentioned in relation to suffering. We see the crown of life being mentioned in James chapter 1 as well. I'm going to read James chapter 1 verse 12. The Bible says that, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so the crown of, the crown of life has always been related to persecution, has always been related to endurance, has always been related to no giving up but staying faithful till the end. And so we have to understand that we have to stay faithful no matter the hardship we face because of our faith, no matter the difficulty we go through as believers, we have to stay faithful till the end. Because the Bible says that he who stays faithful in tribulation, he who stays faithful in hard times and in trials, will receive the crown of life, which God has promised those who love him. Verse 11, he says that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Again, like I said, when we talk about an over overcomer, we should place it in the context of the letter. The le this letter says that the person who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. We know those who will be hurt by the second death. Those who will be hurt by the second death are the people who, have not, who are not saved. And so we cannot say that. And again, we should, be, we should know that this letter is written to the churches which is the body of Christ. And so when you pay attention to the letter to the, the, the letters to the churches, you realize that once saved, forever saved cannot be true. Because Jesus Christ says that if a person does not overcome in this contest, the person will go will experience the second death. But Jesus says a person who overcomes here will not go through the second death. Amen. 
Now, the, the third church that is addressed is is um, Pegamos or the compromising church. Now, the Bible says, and to the angel of the church in Pegamos writes, these things say he who has the sharp, um, sharp two-edged sword, I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas. In the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Now, this church is described as a church where it's a, they are described as a place where Satan dwells. So it, it, it could be that Satan's power and authority was honored and celebrated in that particular place. It means they celebrated sin, they celebrated Satan's power, and they honored Satan. And so Jesus Christ says that this is a place where Satan dwells. Again, as believers, we can find ourselves in situations or in cities where sin is, is elevated and people honor sin and people honor things that are contrary to the word of God. Like I said, we, we can examine ourselves through the light of these scriptures and see what Jesus Christ expects us to do when we find ourselves in a situation like that. So this particular city is believed to be the city of Zeus, of where the temple of Zeus was, and also had several shrines, and they also practiced the, the worship of the emperor. So they, this was everything they celebrated the devil, they celebrated idols, and they did not honor Christ. So Christ says that this particular city that you are living in is a place where Satan lives. And they were celebrating the power of, but he says that even though Satan lives there, there are so much um, temptations that you are facing. This thing you have, that you have hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. And Christ acknowledged and commends them that they have held onto his name. Now, when we see the story of um, a lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, where he lived in a city where the Bible says that the thoughts of the people was continually sin. People were inventing new ways of sinning against God. Bible says that he vexed his soul, but Lot and his Lot was righteous, he and his family, and therefore they were delivered. And so we should not allow the corruption of the, our environment to affect us or even to affect us, one, as a church, or two, as a Christian. Don't allow the influence of the world to affect you. So Christ commends them that they held on to his name and did not deny the faith, even in the days of Antipas. We don't know who Antipas was, but I believe that this person was a Christian, and he was killed because of his faith. And so even though Christians were being killed at that time, these believers did not give up on their faith. And so Christ commended them. But he said, these few things I have against you because you, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stamping block 
before the children of Israel. Now, this is a story that happened in the book of Numbers, where a prophet was asked to prophesy against the people of Israel, but he couldn't prophesy against the people of Israel because Israel had been blessed by God. And so what he told them was that they should call, cause Israel to commit adultery and to, to, to engage in sexual immorality with the people of Moab. And so, uh, uh, in so doing, they, they will um, lose the presence of God or they will lose the protection of God. And so in Numbers chapter 25 from verse 1 to verse 3, the Bible says, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the, they invited the, people to the sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods so that they joined the bar of peril and the anger of the lord was aroused against israel and so the the prophet could not curse israel but what they did was that they caused israel to commit adultery or to commit the, this past um, this version says harlotry with the women of moab and therefore the women invited the people of israel to bow to their idols and God was angry with Israel. And the Bible tells us that 24,000 people died because of this action. So the Bible says here that this particular church, they, they have allowed those who have the doctrine of Balaam. So from this, um, from Numbers 24 and 25, we know that the doctrine of Balaam resulted in the people of Israel committing sexual immorality and also worshiping idols. And so God wasn't pleased with them. And it's the same thing we see here. It says that, um, I'm, I'm going to start, I think I have to back up a little. Because you have, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stamping block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. And so we, we again we see the doctrine of Nicolaitans here, and it's the doctrine that causes the people to bow down to idol, idols or to go to get into idol worship and to commit sexual immorality. And Jesus Christ warns in verse sixteen that repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In the end of Revelation, we see Jesus Christ fighting against um, the nations, that is the people who are not in the kingdom of God with the words of his mouth. And so he says that if these people do not repent, he will come and fight them with the words of his mouth. Like, as I mentioned earlier, that the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans um, is sexual immorality committing sexual immorality and idol worship we should again examine ourselves what are we idolizing and what are we placing before jesus christ this time in our days it might not be bowing down to a wood or bowing down to a tree but something that we have placed before jesus christ we should examine ourselves that he's not happy he, he says he hates that doctrine again Sexual immorality is not something that pleases God. And so if there are teachers who are teaching that oh, what you do does not matter as long as you confess that um, 
you you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are free and you can do whatever you want to do. There are um, there are doctrines now that is even trying to allow perversion in the church, and these things the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ hates those things, and so we should not um, encourage those things in our midst as a church. All right. He again he repeats, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a name writ written which no one knows except him who receives it. So Jesus Christ promised that the reward for those who overcomes, those who overcome and do not give in to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans or do not give in to the doctrine of Balaam, he is going to give them manna. We know that um, the Israelites ate manna when they were in the wilderness. And because of the manna, they were preserved or they were sustained. Con contrary to the people eating the food that are offered to idols here, Jesus Christ is promising to give them manna that is going to sustain them and that is going to preserve them. Now, a white stone... Um, is one of the ancient um, rewards that were given to people in a battle. I understand that in the Greek um, culture or in the Greek context, when people come out of a battle, they are given a reward. And one of those rewards was a white stone. The Bible says here that, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a name is written who which no one knows except him who receives it. So the first people who receive this letter will understand what the white stone represents and what the white stone is or what can be compared to the white stone in their context at that time, which people were given the white stone. I believe, like I said, that in the kingdom of God, there are rewards and they are gifts. Let's not make up our mind that everything in the kingdom of God is going to be a gift. There are things that we are going to be rewarded for based on how we live our lives and what we do here on earth. Now, the last church that we are going to see today, and then I'll um, see if there are any questions, um, is the church of Thyteria, which is the corrupt church. The Bible says, until the angel of the church in Thyteria, right? This thing says the son of God. Who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass? I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servant to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Titeria, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, 
but hold fast. Hold, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who, ha- he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall dash they shall be dashed in pieces like potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now the Bible says here to this particular church that there was a person or a woman who um, is referred to as Jezebel here and she calls herself a prophet, a prophetess. Whether the person's actual name was Jezebel or whether we are, it is referring to the Jezebel we know in the Old Testament. There is something we know about Jezebel in the Old Testament. That Jezebel led the people of God, which is Israel, to commit sexual immorality and to sacrifice things to idols. And you can see that this theme runs through the letters to the churches. Sexual immorality idol worship and it was a problem in Ephesus if you read the book of Acts you realize that Ephesus was a city that had a lot of idol worship and so Jesus Christ is telling the church here that this woman who is called Jezebel or whatever um, entity that is called Jezebel who is being who, who um present his, herself as as a prophetess is teaching the people of God to commit sexual immorality and we see the same action that Jezebel in the Old Testament did. This Jezebel, who is being referred to here, is leading the people of God to do the same thing. And the Bible says that if the person does not repent, or if they don't change, then he's going to bring judgment to, to that person or to that entity, which is called Jezebel here. And he says that um and their children whatever um whatever group who whoever belongs whoever is um a product of that entity or a product of that person was also going to be punished, but Jesus Christ tells them again mentioned here that in Titeria in the city of Titeria not everyone in that city has given in to this particular doctrine. And so we could be in a place where people are teaching wrong things and causing Christians to sin. But we should hold on onto the true doctrine. We should hold on onto the truth because there is a word. He says that, but hold on onto what you have till I can. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until until the end, I'll give power over the nations. The Bible tells that, that tells us that when Jesus Christ comes back in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, that we are going to rule with Jesus Christ. And he says that. Anyone who overcomes and does not give in and hold on to the doctrine, then he is going to rule with Jesus Christ. An overcomer in the book of Revelation is a one who remains faithful to the teachings of Christ. And, and so you see that one thing that Jesus Christ emphasized here to all the churches is faithfulness. Being faithful and holding on till the end. And so as believers... After we have accepted the word of God, after we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we have to stay faithful. We have to remain faithful. And remaining faithful means that whether in the absence or in the presence of people who know you to be a Christian, you remain faithful to your call, knowing very well that Jesus Christ knows your works. And he repeated that to all the churches 
that I know your works. There is nothing that we do as believers that is going to be hidden from Jesus Christ. And so we should understand that he knows our works. He expects us to overcome. Again, like I mentioned um, last week, that these letters have been written to us 2,000 years in advance, that we will learn from them. We will know what Jesus Christ expects from us so that we will not be caught by surprise. And so he writes these letters to the churches, warning them of the things that he does not please him and the things that he expects them to repent from and the things that he expects them to hold on to. When you look at the church, one of all the churches, one of the things that Jesus Christ touches on is doctrine. He was very particular about doctrine. All most of the churches he was telling them, You you have the right doctrine. For some of them, he um commend them from for having the wrong uh, the right doctrine and for some of them he warns them from for having the wrong doctrine others had the right doctrine but their works were not right like it, um the church in ephesus they had the right doctrine they could tell who was a false apostle and who was a right apostle but then they had forgotten their first love and so when um a few points that we take from revelation is that jesus christ knows our works we should be mindful of the doctrine. We should not give in to evil because it's around us. And there is a reward for the things that we do here. There's a reward for the works that we do as Christians. I just want to end here for um for today. We'll continue with um, Revelation chapter 3 next week, God willing. And maybe we can go in chapter 4 because chapter 3 just touches on the last... Um, um, touches on the next four churches. Um, yeah, maybe we, we can just do chapter 3 next week as well. And then we can do chapter 4 and chapter 5 together. So I just want to stop here. If there are any questions or contributions, um, they are welcomed. <laughs>